Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator, broadcasting to you from Vigo, Spain. And Martha, the co-pilot, getting ready to talk to you for November 2022, episode 211. And if you'd like to contact us, the best email to use is rvnavigator at macmac.com. We always like to hear from our listeners, so please feel free to send us a note. We have had uh, quite a few emails this month, and we are glad to hear from our audience. We, the RV Navigators, are two baby boomers who like to travel, and travel we do. We have a 43-foot motorhome that we travel in in the United States, and at the moment we are cruising in the Atlantic on our way to Southampton, England. We left you last month with bated breath. (laughs) (laughs) You can hardly wait to hear about our adventures in Norway and Finland. And we have spent the last month exploring these two countries uh, after we left you in Riga and Tallinn in in the Baltics. So we want to get started today, though, with a little bit of RV news. (laughs) This is too ripe of a a situation to pass up. A story that's so bad you almost don't (laughs) believe it's true, and maybe it's not, because you found it Uh, on Facebook, right? Yeah, but I think it is true. And this is an illustration of how Facebook can be helpful and it can be uh, have some negative aspects. So anyway, the original post is as follows. I'm not a happy camper right now. Hubby filled the city water with gas. I didn't realize it until we were back out at a new campground several weeks later. To his defense, he had spent most of the night before in the emergency room due to me having a major panic attack. <laughs> First time ever on our first trip in the RV. I wonder she, if the two were connected. She had a panic attack. I wonder what, what else was going on. That was before she knew that he put <laughs> gas in the city water tank. We didn't realize that was the issue until we were camping again. We thought we got ripped off at the gas pump and didn't get the gas we paid for. <laughs> okay, I know it all sounds stu- so stupid now. I couldn't figure out why the water was smelling. And to make matters worse, we listened to the very nice gentleman next to us that said, Flush it out. Turn on all your sinks and showers to get it out. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure that made it even worse for all the, of the plumbing. Any idea on how how much a new water tank and all the plumbing cost to replace. They had a 2022 Sunseeker, uh, obviously something like a small motorhome, a 28-footer. We are in California and have a place trying to get general costs, so I have the slightest idea. This is like the worst possible... First of all, we spent a lot of time trying to imagine how you could make this mistake because the place where you put the gas 
looks quite different from the place where you put the water? Well, not really. I mean, it has a white unscrewing cap behind a, a little door that locks, or, or at least shuts with a latch. Um, so I guess if you were a super novice, if this was your first time out and nobody ever gave you any instruction and on were, how to operate your RV... And, then, and you were rattled from your wife having a, a panic attack and being in the emergency room. Uh, as you read on later, um, you find out that they put 25, 25 gallons of gasoline into their fresh water tank. Now And left it sit for a month. And left it... <laughs> And left it sit for a month. Oh. So water and gas don't mix. So assuming that there was water in their tank, at least some, and they put in 25 gallons of gasoline, that means that they had 25 gallons of gasoline floating on the water that was in the tank. (laughs) And she did the right thing and turned on all the faucets and let it all... So that water probably just—it probably wasn't gasoline coming out of the. That, that would be extremely dangerous. The you whole thing is—the whole thing is extremely dangerous. But she probably didn't have gasoline actually coming out of the faucets. It was probably the smell of gasoline In because the it had been the some of the, the water had been contaminated. I don't know how much water she had in there. I don't but, think she said. Maybe she didn't know either. No. They, yeah, well, they would have really no idea. So what do you do in this situation? Well, well there the were, wisdom of Facebook yeah. gave her many solutions. Well, and this is one of the problems of Facebook is, is that you get all sorts of crazy responses to this, and many of them sound very reasonable. Well-intentioned. Well well, and, and their next-door neighbor who said, turn it on, I guess it made some sense. I don't know. To um, get rid of it. But you don't really want it in your waste tank either. I mean, Or in all your plumbing. And then you don't want to put it down the sewer because that would be bad news for the sewer. And of course you have to avoid any type of spark or heat or any type of flame that might <laughs> ignite the whole thing and blow the place up. Oh, so bottom line is here there were several uh, suggestions and one of them was to put bleach into the tank. And Now we, and, we've used bleach t- in well, Mexico. That's what you use to sanitize the tank. But that's when you're worried a little about bioorganism type stuff. Yeah, well it definitely is frequently used to sanitize the tank and that's the recommended way to do it. But if there's gasoline in the tank, apparently gasoline and bleach cause a toxic fume. Do you know that for a fact? No, I don't. Because that was what somebody... Oh, that's it. That's, that's it. what else somebody said on there Facebook. Were, uh, that's it. And, and then people told her put, it, put in baking all these soda. People and then people said, don't put in baking soda because it'll explode with the gas. I mean, it was, you didn't know what to think, and neither did she. And I don't know if you took this into a dealer or if they would know what to do either. And, of course, replacing all... What you'd have. I just don't think you'd ever get the gasoline smell. Yeah. Case, case somebody pointed out these. The gasoline could could potentially melt the plastic, fresh water tank. Plastic plumbing the, parts. Or the plastic from plumbing parts. It mm-hmm. definitely. So, dear listener, it was a horrible problem, <laughs> but turning to Facebook did not make it any less horrible. That's what I would say. And I don't know if there will ever be any follow up on this story, but boy, I would like to know what what they did on a brand new. Oh, can you imagine? And what their insurance company had to say about it, also. Oh, if their insurance company covered, I don't know if they would cover you for doing something like for that. For being stupid. <laughs> well, I I didn't say it. 
The RV navigators do not recommend putting gas in your fresh water tank. <laughs> nor, nor do they know what to do about it. And I think if you listen to the RV navigators for a while, you will find out that we would uh, kind of advise against that, and we will give you uh, lots of other pretty good advice, hard-earned advice that we have learned from making mistakes on the road ourselves. Now I'm trying so, to think what's the worst mistake we ever made. Nothing like that. Um, well, I've had black holes problems occasionally but not to the degree that not, you no, couldn't, not, no, that not you couldn't that recover by yourself yeah so we have been um traveling these past few weeks uh overseas and we left you as we were on our way into norway wait no, into finland, finland finland right finland. And we went all the way to the Arctic Circle. Well above. Well above the Arctic Circle, three or four hundred miles above the Arctic Circle, where we wanted to see the Northern Lights. But we didn't. No. Too many clouds. So we have to plan another trip for doing the Northern Lights. They actually have numerous cruises where they will virtually guarantee you to see the Northern Lights if you want to come in February. Not but our February. experience was is that it was pretty cold to begin with. In, in October. That's it, exactly. Um, our temperatures range from 32 to 45, maybe 50 on some days. Um, so, I don't know. We had a pretty good time, I would say, overall. And we had some decent weather, and we got some nice pictures. Uh, how did you like Finland? I thought that the area around the Arctic Circle was beautiful. We saw a lot of fall colors, and the people there were interesting, which was one of the reasons why we went. We went to see the people who herd reindeers and live a nomadic life, uh, more like, um, what do I want to call them, indigenous people. Quite frankly, I was surprised how many people live above the Arctic Circle. I was trying to yes. compare to our experiences in Alaska, yes. which seemed far more remote and isolated. One difference, I think, is the fact that that area, especially the Norwegian side, has a lot more money. And <laughs> uh, they have really done a good job of banking and using their oil proceeds wisely which has allowed them to develop the very northern part of the country with a lot of tunnels, with a lot of infrastructure to make living there a little more practical and a little more comfortable. And people do spend the whole year round up there, even though they have to endure, I think they told us, two months of virtual darkness in, in the deepest winter. It was quite, quite impressive how much there there was there. As compared to Alaska, you're exactly right. Um, when you go to the Arctic Circle in Alaska, you go to Prudhoe Bay, which is a commercial place, and nobody really lives there because they want to. Whereas here, we were hundreds of miles up north of the Arctic Circle. We went to a farm that was owned by a couple who raises huskies and gives Iditarod-type rides to tourists in the winter, takes people out ice fishing and snowshoeing, doing all the traditional winter things. And we were able to drive to their farm from a reasonably well-developed airport. I know that bush pilots in Alaska kind of serve to unite the various isolated uh, Inuit communities, but it seemed like they are much more isolated from one another. But to be frank, we have never spent a whole lot of time <laughs> up there because no. except for the Northern Lights, there's nothing that would appeal to us there. Uh, we also were told by these people who are 
uh, indigenous people, people who were born there, who have lived there long before. They're all families lived there. Before uh, more civilized people from further south in Europe lived there, that they went to a conference in Brazil where they met other indigenous <laughs> folks who Brazil. told them that they were not welcome there because they didn't look like they were indigenous. They looked very... They did not look like Eskimos like or Hawaiians or uh, Aborigines from Australia. So they were, they were ostracized because they didn't have the look. And, and this community is not confined to fin, Finland or Norway. There are also some of them living in Russia, which right now means that they're totally isolated from one another. And a few in Sweden as well, I believe. Uh, And they, it's amazing how well they work together and how united they are because these disparate groups also do not speak not even a similar language necessarily. So when they get together to deal with native problems that are of interest to all of them, half the people who are there are interpreters helping one side of the people to talk to the other side of the people, and yet they manage to have a community together. And even though they have a heritage together, their languages are so different that they cannot communicate. And, of course, they don't speak Finnish or Norwegian. Not as their first language. As their first language. So it was was an interesting time. These are the Sumi people? Sami. Sami people. S-A-M-I. Oh, there I go again. My language skills are very limited here. Good thing you're not trying to translate. I'll be your translator. How about that? And even even though I said that this area is fairly well developed for where it was, this trip we have never flown so many yes. short flights because there were indeed many parts of this where it would have taken you an unbelievable amount of hours to drive from one place to another, or maybe it wasn't possible at all. So uh, airports and airlines, commercial ones, not just little bush pilot type operations um, tie this area yeah. together. Yes, but they were just one step above a grass field for well, but they were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these were uh, two engine turbo props that held about 25 people. And we put all of our luggage on it and we took off. We'd made uh, five of these flights uh, over a period of a few days. And it was an exciting a- adventure to fly on these airlines. And because they're small planes, we often flew quite low. So when the cloud cover was not too heavy, we had some um, dramatic views of all these arc- archipelagos and islands and fjords below us. It was beautiful. Yes, because it was a glaciated area and you could see where the glaciers had scraped away the land and there were uh, just big rocks in the middle of the ocean and it was uh, it was quite exciting to see when we could see it, but often it was cloudy and we couldn't see it. So that was one of the negative sides of traveling at this time of year, I believe. But it was also close to Russia, and that's interesting. They share a very close border. I think we were probably within 100 well, miles. Well, Finland of... shares 800 miles of border yeah. with Russia, and Norway has 200 miles worth of border. So they have been trying very hard for all these years to tread lightly and be neutral and not irk their big neighbor next door. But as things stand right now, they have had to uh, draw a line in the sand and say which side of the sand they were on. You worry about it. It's always in the back of your mind, I'm sure, when you live there about how this is all going to turn out. This was not a big tourist area, but uh, there were uh, some tourists around. And, of course, our small group of 16 really didn't seem like uh, an influx of tourism. So we were able to go to some places like the Husky Farm. 
Husky Farm. Husky. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that w that ordinary uh, tours don't uh, have a chance of going to. And didn't we go to the North Pole too and stand on the Arctic <laughs> Circle? That was pretty touristy. <laughs> that was touristy, almost as bad as it is, it is in Alaska. In Alaska. <laughs> well, it is cool to stand across the Arctic Circle, and we were surprised uh, when you go to the Antarctic Circle down south that it is actually on the continent of Antarctica, so that you really have to go far south to uh, experience the southern Arctic Circle, southern Antarctic Circle, the, the spot where it always is dark for 24 hours a day. If you're contemplating taking a trip to that part of the world, my number one piece of advice is to bring lots of money and to try to take a tour or make arrangements so that you can pay for some things before you leave and you don't have to pay everything as you go because it's frightfully expensive up there. Uh, when we got to Finland not too long after we spoke to you last, we were feeling a little bit in need of some laundry service and we checked in our <laughs> Finnish hotel uh, if we could wash a pair of pants. And when we got that little, ta that little piece of paper that lists the prices, we couldn't believe what we were seeing with our own eyes because washing the pair of pants cost $20. $20. Having laundry service cost $20 more. And there was some kind of $7.50 fee for who knows what. So when I looked at the pair of pants in my hand <laughs> that were in need of a freshening, it would have cost me $47.50 yes, to, to clean a, them. But and to have a second pair done, it would only cost you $67. <laughs> so we tried very hard to wash everything we could in the sink, but pants are just too hard to do. And we spent well over $100 just trying to Well, and that was at the hotel, the next hotel, where it was actually much cheaper. It was only $15 for a pair oh of pants without any extra service fees. And then we said to one another, well, maybe we should just go out and buy another pair of pants. But that Where? was not really a good answer either because buying pants up there is very expensive too. It's just a pricey place to live. And we've always considered uh, the laundry on the ship that we're on, for instance, to be quite expensive. And now I, I just last night looked at the at the laundry list and pants were only seven fifty. What a bargain. What a bargain. <laughs> <laughs> At other times, we've considered that to be way beyond what we would pay for a pair of pants. But now that we see it in a, in conjunction with the the experience that we just had, we say, "Well, that's not bad at all." But on the positive side, we we encountered no one who did not speak English. Now, granted, we were on a tour, and the people that we were coming in contact with were there to help tourists do something or learn something. Uh, their language was great, very easy to understand, very easy to follow, which is not always the case as we travel around the world. So that made the living much more easy. And we had great food, lots of fish, as you would imagine. A lot Salmon of every day. Fresh produce, uh, surprisingly so, that was in season at that time of year. So we had a lot of turnips and rutabagas and potatoes and carrots. Except we always like salmon. We have always thought about Norwegian salmon as being like the pinnacle of great health food and you know a, a fish that, that you should be eating. And then we went to a place that uh, one another special event we had was a ecological speaker who talked about all the problems with fish farming. Factory farming and of the, fish. And that salmon in from Norway are all fi farmed and they 
swim around in their own feces and they are get bacteria and, and are closely and, confined and pass disease to and, one another and they have uh, to have antibiotics it sounded like the same thing that you hear about with all sorts of factory farming in our country with with much larger animals so that was rather discouraging <laughs> to hear myth that we have the norwegian salmon is healthy i was surprised that the Eating soy is causes... Oh, because most of these salmon um, do not eat other fish-type stuff, which is what they would do in the wild, they uh, try to feed them soy products, just like we feed to cows and to pigs. And because the um, nutrients going into the fish were not fishy, the uh, fish oil was not beneficial to us either the way normal fish oil would be. Uh. That was also a surprise. So, dear listener, <laughs> what do you do? Everything. My theory is that everything you eat uh-huh. is bad for you. So I try to try to eat a little bit of everything. But I have been enjoying a lot of Norwegian salmon on this particular trip. That's for sure. Another fascinating encounter we had was with someone who represented the Norwegian prison system. Oh yeah. Uh, you're probably dimly aware of the fact that their approach to prison and incarceration and the penal system is very, very different from ours. At the present time, we have about 0.07 of our population in prison, and they have, no, about 7% of our population in prison, and they have 0.05. I'm not sure those numbers are totally accurate. I looked it up. Okay, but the difference is dramatic. And their prison system actually has a lot of heart to it. It has, uh, the prison guard we talked to (laughs) <laughs> went to prisoners' houses to uh, have Sunday dinner, and they tried to rehabilitate their prisoners as much as possible. Maximum sentence is 21 years, right? And so you don't have a person facing lifelong sentencing. Uh, obviously, for more severe crimes, they were uh, you could have the, the sentence extended, but that would be very unusual. And they had many prisons that did not have walls, that they lived in private apartments like um, the prison nice system was humane rooms, I yeah. would say yeah and most of the prisoners held down jobs or went to school and were the prisons, rehabilitated the prisons were distributed all over the country so that often they were incarcerated pretty close to where they came from in the first place which meant that they had much better contact with friends and family which made integrating them back into normal life uh, less of a trauma than it is for our people this whole bucolic system, however, was severely taxed not too long ago. They had a horrible incident where a man dressed as a policeman uh, blew up part of the of a government building and then went out to an island where a lot of young people were having summer camp and slaughtered almost 70 of them. Yeah, that's terrible. This is considered to be their 9-11 and gave a lot of uh, questioning about the prison system and how they should handle this uh, person who was such a mass murderer and how to incarcerate him and make sure that he never had a chance to do that again. (laughs) Anyway, you can see from these experiences that the way we travel is somewhat different than the average tourist. And that's why we like the small group travel that uh, actually gets into uh, the conflicts and the events and the societies that we visit. So we really enjoy this type of travel. And with a small group, you can you can actually do that and, and talk to the people who are making these kinds of decisions and, and living these lives. 
We we don't accept advertising and don't usually endorse, but I know that we've talked before about the organization that we traveled with on this trip as well as a number of others called Overseas Adventure Travel, and uh, this is their approach to travel and why we, we like them so much. And every trip has discussions about controversial topics that uh, they incorporate into the itinerary where you actually talk to somebody who is involved in a particular topic and uh, is an expert and can share their experiences, whether it's just a local family or a senior officer or somebody like that that uh, really has a handle on what's going on in their country. And it's interesting to hear. Another trend we experienced uh, a great deal on this trip, which I think is just plain old going to come all over the world, is the fact that we very rarely used cash for anything. And that even went down to a very pricey (laughs) toilet that we had the pleasure of using in a sculpture park that uh, cost $2 to go inside. And there was a man at the door with a portable charging machine. Did not take cash. And we just had to wave our credit cards at his machine before we were allowed to go to the loo. Uh, So we know that people who travel overseas get consternated about cashing money and whether they should bring some money from home and get it from their bank and what is the rate. And we we had some money, and the money that we brought from home we're going to give bring back to home again because we never used it. Exactly. This has been a, a major transition for us that even the smallest amount you can you sh- you are expected to charge. You go into the smallest bodega and make a purchase and you use your credit card. Now, your credit card should have a chip. Um, one of the problems that some people had was is that they only had the stripe on their card, and when you only had the stripe, you had to sign, <laughs> which is very interesting. I'm not sure exactly why. Did, did anybody have to sign at the loo? I don't know. I'm not sure the loo took anything. But these contactless cards, you just, you just touch it to the machine, and it automatically makes the charge, and really no paper involved. It doesn't dispense a receipt. <laughs> A loo receipt. Uh, so, and of course, it cost us eight or four dollars because we each had to go. We couldn't. We couldn't share a loo spot. I was about ready to ask if we could both go to the same one. Oh boy! Many moons ago, when we first started traveling, uh, changing money was a huge nightmare. This was before the European Union, and so every time you changed a border, you had to head to a bank and exchange either your American dollars or your leftover money from the preceding or country. Or tr- American Express traveler's checks. It was a very tedious process. And banks being bank, banks were never open on the weekends, so you had to guess how much money you would need to get through Sunday night. And even on weekdays, it seemed, you've heard of bankers' hours. It seemed like they were open between 10 and 2, and that was about it. So that was such a pain. So we were so happy when the European Union came out and everybody who belonged uses the euro and so once you are inside the European Union you have one kind of money that you can use wherever you go. Everybody uses euro? Well, almost everybody. (laughs) So then we found some countries that don't use euros who decided to what should I say, desert the country, the money that they had been using and come up with new money, which meant that the money that we had left over from previous trips uh, was still sitting there at home, totally worthless. And we were in England last in 2016, and we found that all of our money, our pounds that we had from the English pounds, were no longer good. 
or about to become no longer good because the English have decided to get rid of paper money and use this kind of plasticky. <laughs> it's not. It's plastic money, but it's it's polyester based, yeah. and it's and. It, it, uh, it looks like a you bill. You can't tear it. It looks like a bill, but it, you can't fold it. But it isn't plastic money in the sense of a credit card. Right. It is bills, <laughs> and they've changed all of their bills to this plastic money. And stores and businesses no longer take paper currency. So, oh. so the only place that we could exchange our old bills from home, that we should have just bought a candy bar on the way out of, at the airport, was to go to the... National Bank of England, England, which is not just in your next door town. There's just <laughs> one, apparently, in London. in London. And so we joined a queue of people like us who, who had paper money that they needed to exchange into this plastic money. And we stood there for over an hour 90 to, minutes, to get this over 90 job minutes. done. And that was a short time, apparently. And there were people with stacks of money, apparently, uh, vendors. There, there were vendors, people who set up little stalls in places and took a lot of cash over the years, and they had stacks of money that they had to exchange for plastic money, and they had to fill out all sorts of forms. We only had less than $200, so we walked up to the counter once we our turn came, and it was a very tr- quick transaction. They just... Uh, looked at it and I guess the bank verified that it was legitimate money, money and they swapped it out for new bills. So now you know, we're that's one... interesting. In the United States you could take a an eighteen nineties dollar bill and it would be honored. And it would be honored at virtually any store, wouldn't it? So now we're wondering about the next time they make a move, which is to put King Charles on their <laughs> money and whether we will have to go stand in line again to get the money that we just got replaced for even better British pounds. How strange. With the king facing the other way from the queen. Oh, boy. The the problems of travel, huh? We traveled uh, down Norway going to some of the fjords, and we were going to take an exciting train trip, which was canceled due to <laughs> the tracks being blown up or something. No, no. no not being Mechanical blown up. Mechanical issues. The tracks were, no, were not usable. And so we took a bus instead, and then we drove down through the fjords and uh, some beautiful country in the rain. And then we had ended up in Bergen after about uh, two and a half weeks. And Bergen is on the west coast of Norway, about uh, two-thirds of the way down, or one-third of the way up. And that's where our uh, land trip ended. And from there, we flew to Gatwick. In London. Uh, in we London. were very glad to use Gatwick because we have had some bad experiences and read many more bad experiences that people have had at Heathrow, which is the primary airport in England, and very, very busy. I mean, they're doing the best they can. They just have too many people coming through there, and it generates a lot of problems. And then the question is, how do you get from your airport, either Gatwick or Heathrow, to London. Uh, we had read about the, the feasibility of using a train, and we had good intentions of doing that, but we found um, only a moderately, ridiculously expensive taxi transfer, and we uh, had a nice man who picked us up at the airport and brought us to downtown London, talking the whole way about how he felt about the Prime Minister and how he felt about the new king. It was kind of fun. But what was amazing to us was most of the ride was in these tiny little 
Roads. streets that, that you no motor you'd go two blocks and you'd turn you go two more blocks and you turn a different direction then you'd come to a roundabout the whole thing w- took over two hours to yeah. go 70 yeah, miles I airport. think it was incredibly they have no motorways that go into the city apparently impractical you know in Chicago you drive in uh, all of our expressways end up in Chicago so you have multiple directions you can come in from the no- north the south the east and oh, no you can't come in from the east but the you can come in from the west <laughs> you can drive over Lake Michigan. Okay, so you can drive in from virtually any direction, and all the highways just converge right in the center of the city. Whereas in London, there is none of that, which is means that the traffic and the time it takes to get there is just oh, unbelievable. I think we would have been better off to take the train, but we didn't know that at the time. But uh, the other thing I want to mention about to London, though, is is that uh, if you are, dear listener, thinking of going to London, and you're needing a central London hotel, the place we stayed at was reasonably priced, had a kitchen, and was within walking distance of all of the major attractions that we were interested in doing, right in London. And that was a a truly amazing experience. Uh, We will be more than happy to share uh, the information about this hotel with with you if you are traveling in that direction, because you're, I don't know about you, but we're always looking for a centrally located hotel that uh, allows us flexibility about going to places uh, that, that, you know, the, the big tourist attractions. We were a block and a half from Trafalgar Square. We were we could walk to Piccadilly Circus. We could walk to Covent Garden. Uh, and that's the <laughs> the best way. We did not have to use a taxi in any day. While we were there. Yeah, we used the, the tube a few days, but that was to get to fairly distant locations. And uh, this hotel was just a real find and will remain on our list of must-dos while we are in London. The other wonderful feature Ken didn't mention is that it had a laundromat oh, in yes. the basement. Oh, yes. And given our previous <laughs> wonderful pricey experiences with laundromats, we were so excited to find it. And I rushed down there with two washer loads of clothes and find that the, found that there was nowhere to pay or to push a button. I went upstairs to the concierge and she said, well, it's on an app. There's an app <laughs> for everything. So this laundromat, um, and apparently this is a chain of laundromats, you had to download the app, and then you had to link your credit card to it and choose which washing machine and which dryer you planned on using, and it would automatically turn but it on. It was cool when you when you had said yes, this is where I wanted. But you could to see do the before wash. you went to the. I mean, this was a matter for us. Not, it wasn't actually. I mean, it was a laundromat in the building, so we were on the fifth floor, and it was on the first floor, something like that. So, but you could see. Uh, while you were in your room, which washers or dryers were being used. And if and, it was free and ready and for you to go down there. And if it was free so you could sit down there and you'd know that there would be a machine there ready for you. And the app was very quick. I was surprised. You f- located the machine on the app and said, you know, start that machine. I want to use dryer and within, one. And within 10 seconds, the machine was One activated. and it started. And nobody else could could start it with, uh, without uh, having the app. And then I got a little receipt in my email saying, you have spent £3.50 for your dryer. Oh, no, it was more than that. Four fifty. <laughs> no, for the dryer, the yep. wash was £5. £5.78 We are really lucky right now that the dollar is so strong so you could kind of think one for one between the dollar and the pound which has not always been the case 
from there, we took a little trip down to Southampton, which is a couple hours away by car, and we boarded our ship, the Sky Princess. Which eventually is our ride home. Home yeah. being the United States. And right now we're on part one of, uh, of the cruise. And this one, <laughs> we were a little surprised because uh, there are only a, a, about 200 Americans on board out of uh, 3,300. We're not used to that. 3,260 passengers. So we are the, uh, the outliers and uh, not very normative. But we are on our way to Florida, whereas the first leg of this cruise is a round trip from Southampton to the Canaries. And the Canaries are like uh, going to the Hawaii. Caribbean. or Well, not that far. Well, I don't know. Well, they're like Hawaii. Yeah. They're well, yeah. volcanic islands, a little grouping of them. Off the coast of Africa. And this is a place <laughs> where a lot of Europeans go for a summer holiday, a beach holiday. Uh, so we are doing that primarily. And as I mentioned at the beginning, we are we just left uh, Vega, Spain, our last stop on our itinerary, before we head back to Southampton, where we will be picking up thousands of North Americans heading back to Fort Lauderdale, which you'll hear about, of course, on the next episode of the RV Navigator, which will be the de- December. December issue. <laughs> so do we know where we are? No, we're in the middle of the ocean. And As sometimes happens, our cruise ship had to skip a port. Uh, the captain got was very communicative, and he got on the horn very early in our cruise and said, there's a big blah, blah, blah depression system in the North Atlantic, and I'm changing the itinerary. And what it meant was that instead of taking the direct route to the Canary Islands, he had to hug the land and kind of travel around a bay rather than across the mouth of it, which made us so late that we never made it to the first port on time and had to skip it altogether, which is disappointing, but happens every so often. And in the midst of that problem, he got on the horn again to tell us that someone on our ship was so ill, they had to be evacuated, and he had changed the direction he was sailing to get us closer to Lisbon, where um, a medevac would come out and rescue this person. Wow. A helicopter coming out from the shore... It must have been a couple hundred miles in order to take you <coughs> off the ship. Uh, we saw we didn't actually see the evacuation, but we saw some pictures on Facebook, and they had you know the the basket that they put down, and they lifted the person up into the helicopter, and then took them to shore. And the captain later told us that the person was recovering. We don't know what the issue was, but the question for you and us is, how do you pay for something like that to have a helicopter and a ship change direction? and sail probably at least 50 miles out of its way in order to get you off of the ship. How do you pay for this? And I suppose you leave all your belongings behind. I don't know how you reconnect with them again. I assume your significant person you're sailing with comes with you on the helicopter because then how would they ever catch up with you again? It's it's a nightmare to think about. We're glad to hear that they are being treated and would be okay. But it does give you pause. But how do you cover this insurance-wise? I mean, this has to be thousands and thousands of dollars. And you would have, as we do, medevac insurance. And this is uh, usually a separate insurance policy that you would have. Uh, We have it through a company called Massa, and they promise to evacuate us from any 
life-saving situation that we need uh, to a safe location and even home. And also, by the way, Massa will also bring our motorhome home if we are in our motorhome in the United States and we need to be evacuated or if there's some serious illness that the motorhome has to be left behind. It's our responsibility to notify them before we leave home, before we go to places. Theoretically, that makes them more ready, although I have a hard time imagining how that would work. And when I do that, I always get a little disclaimer at the bottom of their reply, which says, (laughs) we will not come rescue you if you are in Antarctica or North Korea. So, so far, those countries, well, no, we did go to Antarctica. Yes. We, we haven't needed <clears throat> But we were uncovered uh, right. at that moment because there's, the there's no coverage there because there's no way to come and get you. So it's just a, a problem that you'll have to endure if you have a problem. But, dear listener, you probably, if you want to travel overseas, you probably will want to have uh, medevac insurance. One is, is that if you're in a country that doesn't have very good health care, you want to be medevac to a country that does have good health care. Ideally, it would be home. And a lot of times you have to travel uh, first class or you have to have um, a nurse extra with you. space or yeah, a nurse with you or some sort of special medical equipment so that you want to have that covered by the insurance also. And these can be, from our experience, experience thousands of dollars, uh, tens of thousands of dollars that would be very difficult to cover out of pocket. Take that as a word of of advice as you're traveling. We've done something new on this cruise, not that it's really new, it's just new to us. Uh, We opted to (laughs) take the drinks package, and this has been something that we've been aware of but always rejected because it is quite expensive. I think you've heard me rant about this And you before. can't imagine that you would drink enough to make it worth it. In the but past, they have charged 50 bucks a day for f- you could have up to 15 alcoholic drinks, all the coffee and soda that you wanted and water. Um, and they charged, you know, 50 bucks. And I just I don't see how anybody can drink that much. So Princess snagged our business this time because they made it into a package with the Wi-Fi that we think is very important for our daily life and the tips that you have to pay at the end of a cruise to the crew that is working very hard to clean your cabin and serve you dinner, etc., etc. So we did opt for the drinks package. And I don't know it was if a, it was a It was a, a bundle. A bundle, and it's called the Princess... Pride bumble bundle or something like that. Every every cruise line. Well, they don't have the packages like we see here. So it's it's a choice that's something you. They, have they to usually have. have these things as individual components, but the, here they bundle them together and give you, quote unquote, a discount. And we figure that we're spending per person uh, fifteen dollars a day for gratuities. That's kind of built in. They charge that to your account anyway, and we're spending ten bucks a day for internet per person. So that's twenty five bucks right there. And this drinks, or this all inclusive package was fifty bucks total. And we really thought about it carefully, but because we have so many days at sea and we're spending a lot of time on the ship, we thought, well, we might just want to give this a try this time. I like to have a glass of wine with a meal at dinner, but I don't like to drink all day long, which you kind of feel like you should to justify having the drinks package. But what I've liked the most staggering down the hall. What I've liked the most is the specialty coffees because as much as I enjoy cruising, 
coffee on a cruise ship is really, really bad. Regular coffee. And so they have one of these little espresso machines, and they individually make you a cup of coffee with all these inscrutable Starbucks names. And it's a much, double flat latte with two shots. It's much better tasting than the stuff you get out of that big machine that they normally would give you for free or included. And this morning, because we were in a bit of a hurry, we decided to drink the regular coffee that they serve to everybody. And it was really bad. <laughs> what kind of coffee snobs anyway, but uh, are you going to be... <laughs> Are you going to be hooked on the drinks pad on the, I, I the cruising? I'm, I'm still ambivalent. And it's been nice to have a can of Coke instead of iced tea or lemonade, which were the other free included cold drinks, typically. Because, you know, on a cruise, the only thing drinks that you get for free are tea, coffee, and, and re- I mean, just regular coffee and regular tea and Sometimes water. Lemon, lemonade sometimes. Lemonade, and yeah. Machine. And, yes, lemonade. But that's all you get for free. If you want any sort of soft drink, if you want any, well, you can have juices in the morning, kind of orange juice and tomato juice and that sort of stuff. But I'm thinking about other things you can drink. There's just you don't get anything else for free, and we like water. Ice water is fine. So most of the time in the past that's been okay. But in this situation, we decided to give this package a try, and it's still under review. So since we have um, many days at sea ahead of us, six in a row as part of our crossing, we decided that we could drink if we couldn't think of anything else to do. <laughs> However, let it be known that right now we have not had a drink today. No, no, we may sound like we're in bad shape, but we uh, we are of sound, as sound of mind as we can be. <clears throat> well, our listeners know after the New Year's Eve broadcast right. what we sound like, so, so we are careful not to, not to make that mistake twice a year. So we are completely sober at the moment, but... Who knows after we do the podcast. Anyway, I wanted to follow up with uh, something that I mentioned last month, uh, and that is Aerolo uh, eSIMs. Remember that I was shocked when the the new iPhone was introduced, and it did not have a SIM slot. You had to use eSIMs. And I was quite consternated about this because when I go overseas, I drop a, a SIM into the card slot, and I'm good to go for that country or that region of the world. And it's been very convenient and quite cost-effective. But sometimes and, a pain to get started with, because you had to go to a local phone store, deal with somebody who didn't speak English. And, and you had to have your passport. Do paperwork. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was, yes, and it took a guide if you were in a foreign country to help you out to make sure that it worked okay. But we did that in Italy and it worked out fine. And saved, uh, I, a, lot, saved a lot of I money. I used that SIM and paid and saved a lot of money. But last month, just before the podcast, we found out about Aerolo. A-I-R-A-L-O. And Aerolo is a company which which specializes in e-SIMs for data. And I was shocked to find that they had very reasonable prices, and they had eSIMs for all the major countries and regions of the world, so that you could now put this eSIM in your in your phone, and you would have a, a data plan that was uh, reasonably priced. Now we're talking supposedly to our viewers, many of whom do not leave our country nearly as often as we do, is an eSIM something that they would want? Probably not, because most, (laughs) I'm thinking, most of the 
plans these days have a decent amount of data to go with it. Cell plans at right. home. And I'm not even sure they had a NISIM that was good in the United States. So this really is an international thing for, yes, but it for could, America. But it could be uh, Mexico and Canada. Right. So the eSIM uh, from Aerolo is extremely easy to buy and install. Actually, because there's nothing physical, it, it's just a software upload or download, and you it installs itself. And so I got the 10-gigabyte eSIM for $20, and that was uh, very reasonable, and you can replenish it as necessary. It was good for 30 days, and it took about five minutes to install. And, of course, I didn't have to go anywhere. I didn't have to sign any papers. I just I, I got an account from Aerolo, and I bought it and installed it, and it worked. And that's uh, very cool. So this gives me a lot of uh, confidence that I can use the new iPhone when I get it, and I will be able to have... Uh, as much data as I need. Uh, be aware that this is only a data sim, which of course is what we wanted primarily because we like it for roaming around cities and doing navigation and answering questions and finding out about uh, theater events and Making all, sorts of, all sorts of things that you want to do in a city when you're not connected to Wi-Fi. And the eSIM, just, it just worked. You can buy one that's country-specific or you can buy one that's regional. So I bought one in Finland that was good for all of Europe, and it has so far worked everywhere uh, that we have been. So it has uh, just seamlessly worked. As a matter of fact, I just renewed it and uh, bought some more data so that uh, when it runs out, all you do is just pay a few more bucks, and Top it's it about $4 a gigabyte, which is pretty reasonable, I would say, for for data in many countries compared to uh, somebody like Verizon who charges you $10 a day $10 a day for half a gigabyte so that's $150 a month it's a big difference <laughs> yes that's a huge difference um, and speaking of our friends Verizon we've talked to a lot of people who are traveling overseas and I've just turned off Verizon and I've gone with my eSIM from uh, Google Fi primarily for overseas and so when we have a phone call to make it it goes through the Google Fi but a lot of people have been using T-Mobile and I think when we get home I have done a bit of research I think when we get home I'm going to switch from Verizon to T-Mobile I would love to hear from you if you have uh, done this T-Mobile is nice because they have a lot of connections overseas and that when you leave home you don't have to leave your number, and it doesn't cost you anything to use your phone overseas. And you don't have to make any extra costs on your plan. So I think T-Mobile might be a good choice for us as opposed to uh, Verizon. Although Verizon has good coverage in the United States, their overseas packages are just $10 a day per person. So is T-Mobile's coverage within the U.S. for our RVing friends? I think it'll be, I think it'll be fine. Similar? Yes. And I think as long as we're not, uh, as long as we have our hotspots, that we'll be in pretty good shape. We don't travel to that many out of the way locations. And I also think that. Uh, in the RV, I mean. Yeah, in the RV. And I think that uh, their coverage is becoming more and more broad and covering lots more places. Here's an article which I would like to refer you to. The title of this article is The iPhone 14 Pro is the first phone that could replace my camera. 
Now, in your case, you have used your phone much more than your camera. Mm, as much as, I would as say. As much as. Why? I especially liked using it for shots out of the window of a car or a bus. I felt like I was much more quick and responsive to whatever was whizzing by outside my window. And some of the pictures that I took with it were just fantastically beautiful. And I understand that you had a similar experience, and the next RV Navigator calendar is going to feature a photo that you took with your phone, right? No. (laughs) I got some fabulous pictures out the bus window, but I was using my camera. With the camera. Now, I set the camera at a thousandth of a second, and I don't focus on the uh, nearby so I don't get any motion, but... I've been practicing taking pictures out the bus window for years, and I got some fabulous pictures out the window this time. And I did, too, with my iPhone. I couldn't believe how good they were. So I'm going to read the first couple paragraphs of this, because this is a real shocker that you can replace your digital SLR or your mirrorless camera with an iPhone. The iPhone 14 apparently is a much better camera which means that I have to have it, of course. So here's the quote. I had fleeting thoughts. Am I seeing this correctly? Did I accidentally edit two Canon R5 images? This feels wrong. I don't use hyperbole lightly when I say that I feasibly see myself taking photos with the iPhone 14 that end up in my portfolio or for sale on my print site. This isn't a camera replacement. It should be obvious that there are a lot of limitations to the iPhone 14. However, if I'm about to pack a bag and climb a mountain and something magical happens without my camera by my side and I snap some photos with the iPhone 14 Pro, I would be professionally happy with the results in the right circumstances. Zooming into 100% left me at a loss for words. Not only is the image absolutely packed with detail, the highlight retention and the shadows are all there as well. This is not something I could have shown you last year, where zooming in would have lost far too much detail in a scene such as this. It's this shot that made me literally step away from Lightroom, take a walk with how impressed I was with the results. And this article, which of course you can find the link to on the RV Navigator website for this episode, episode 211 for November of 2022. If you click on that link, you'll see an article from F-Stoppers, and this, what he has is a series of pictures that he took with his Canon R5, which is the latest full-frame Canon camera. I mean, this is a monster of a camera, and uh, it costs $6,000. And he has A-B comparisons where he shot with the iPhone and with this uh, Canon camera. And he you couldn't shows tell the you, difference. And as he says, I he cannot see the difference. And he also says that this would not have happened with last year's iPhone, which is very interesting. The new iPhone has a 48-megapixel camera in it. So and, are you telling me I need a new phone, too? Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> You need a new phone? No, your phone is only a year old. It's me who needs a new phone. But I don't have a pro anything. This, he's using a pro. You do have a pro. An iPhone 14 Pro. Uh-uh. That's what you have. You have an iPhone 13 Pro. I have two lenses. The pros have three. You only have two lenses? Yes. Oh, you're underpowered then. Exactly. 
Okay, well, we'll get two phones and no, put them no. on that T-Mobile. <laughs> oh. It's hard to put the genie back in the bottle, that's for darn sure. So, dear listener, we have uh, not many RV topics this month. We but, apologize. But we apologize, but uh, we will be spending another two weeks fattening ourselves up for our trip to Florida, where we will be spending a little bit of time before heading back to Illinois in the cold, where we will be spending the holidays. And, of course, next month we will have our big holiday edition, where we will give you gift suggestions for oh, the upcoming right. Christmas holidays. And that will be an exciting episode of the RV Navigator. I hope so. Which you're not going to want to miss. So if you want to keep in touch with us, please send us an email. We would love to hear from you. And remember, we do this as an audio podcast so that you can listen to us while you're on the road. So tell us where you're going and what you're doing as you're traveling down the road listening to the RV Navigator. We'd like to say that we will see you in a campground near us, but that's but not going to happen for a little while. But we will be on the road again in the not-too-distant future. Anyway, with that said, we will wish you bon voyage. And happy Thanksgiving. And Oh, that's right. Happy Thanksgiving. That's coming up very soon. Happy holidays. And oh, no. time to shop at Black Friday. Day. I think it Cyber happened. Cyber Monday. I think it happened already while we were gone. No, no. They, they, have, they have those black things every every week. <laughs> Give me a break. We want a sale. We want a sale. Okay. Yes, the Amazon we man. We haven't used Amazon in a long time, ladies The Amazon man has forgotten your name. We've been gone for so long. Okay, so with that, we will say goodbye. Enjoy your holiday season. Happy travels. Happy travels.